This is Mac, and I just wanted to say this episode is what friendship is all about. I have two people I dearly love, two brothers, one a great preacher, teacher, leader, John Faison Sr., and second, another great preacher, teacher, leader, Charles Goodman. Uh, John Faison and I have been friends for 20 years now, and Goodman and I have been friends for about 10. Uh, These brothers are uncles to my kids. Uh, They're people I can confide in, people I can trust, and I just want to say friendship is a priceless gift, and I thank God for both of these guys awesome people, great leaders, and they are the reason uh, why I'm here in several ways. And I just thank God for for their friendship. And I just wanted to say publicly, it's it's such a joy to have good friends. Uh, The poem I learned one day said, there are good ships and wood ships, ships that sail the sea, but the best ships are friendships and may they forever be. So I thank God for their friendship and I thank God for this podcast. Listen and enjoy. Welcome to the Mac Attack Show, and this is your host, Mac. We are excited because we have two great guests for our show on today. First, we have Reverend Dr. John R. Faison, Sr., pastor of the great Watson Grove Missionary Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And we also are delighted and excited to have Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr., uh, the pastor, teacher, leader, shepherd, and great preacher of the historic Tabernacle Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. Today's topics are leadership and being thankful. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I would love if you could introduce yourself to the people, tell us who you are, what you want us to know, and, and what it is you do. Sure. Um, my name is uh, Pastor John Faison Sr. I am Senior Pastor of Watson Grove Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here for almost eight years, uh, since 2012, and um, loving Nashville, loving ministry, uh, married, have three children, uh, two of which are uh, college students and one 15-year-old uh, back at home. Been married um, almost 21 years. It'll be this year. So uh, love ministry. I really have four passions, I would say, that I, I try to operate it and, and, and flow in. Uh, those are family, uh, preaching, leadership, and justice. And so those are the four places I kind of try to give my time. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. Amen. Thank you. And it's ironic uh, that you have those four passions because we are going to touch on all four. Uh, You are renowned across this country and even parts of the world as a great preacher, great teacher, great leader. But one of the things that impresses me most and one of the reasons you are on this uniquely dope series, people who are unique and different and do things in a special way, is your passion for family. Tell us about how family motivates you, how it drives you, and and how important family is you, you see in your life and how important it should be in all people's life. Um, family for me is ground zero. It is really the place uh, where I refill uh, after serving and doing all those things that we have to do in leadership. Um, uh, much of it requires us to empty of ourselves uh, and to pour into others, uh, whether it be for causes or um, different initiatives or ministry or church or community, wherever you might be uh, giving of yourself. Uh, for me, family is where I get refilled. It is really where uh, I get to be uh, John or dad or, you know, all those things. Um, it is really the, the, the family dynamic um, that I think we are to give our best to. Uh, in, our, in, in the field of ministry, uh, we are often... Um, encouraged, uh, I think incorrectly, to give all of ourselves to church, all of ourselves to ministry, uh, and then whatever is left over goes to family. Uh, I think it's incorrect uh, biblical exegesis uh, for people to say that you ought to uh, do all these things. We use passages like, if you know, if you turn, uh, um, my mother and my father are are those that, you know, seek to do the will of my father. My mother and my father are uh, those who seek to do my father's will, and I can leave family and abandon them and just go do ministry and then call it serving God. I think that's uh, that has actually led uh, to some of the dysfunctional uh, behaviors and, and, and much of the family dysfunction that we see in the kingdom of God, particularly in the, in the American church. Um, it is because families have been neglected. It's because kids uh, who were, you know, connected to church or connected to who had parents in ministry uh, saw some of the ways in which uh, persons would choose church 
or church activity and ministry over family. And as a result, often they have run from God and wanted nothing to do with the church. Uh, I think it's a, I, th I believe it's a poor example. I don't think that's the best representation of what Christ uh, uh, desired. Uh, I think throughout scripture, I see family being affirmed. I see family being supported. I think that our first ministry uh, for those of us who serve in it uh, is our family, that our families ought to testify of our relationship with God, not just our churches. Uh, the way that we do that is just is by uh, valuing them, honoring them, giving them priority and presence in our lives, giving them our best, not just what's left. Um, so, so for us, that means my wife and I, we do ministry together. Um, we we serve together we share together she's uh she is prominent uh in all that we do from marketing to ministry hands-on every weekend or every week she's a part of what i do um my children uh they're given a space and a place uh in my life um intentionally so for us uh we created a rhythm that that sought to uh, uh communicate that value for one uh thursday night for us is date night so me and the wife uh every thursday night is date night that's what we do that's who we are it's a non-negotiable uh kind of appointment and so it gives us the space of the time to really uh be with each other now the deal is we know the exceptions arise there are things that happen uh that may not uh, make thursday possible but the deal is this whoever misses it or whoever has to miss uh has to make it up and so it becomes this unspoken rule that if I miss, and that's my job, to kind of make make it up and to make sure that a per that my spouse is a priority. It's a statement that says uh, she's that important. Uh, so for us on Friday nights, it's family night. Uh, when our kids were here, or when our, all of our children were at home, uh, two of them are in college now, but when everybody was at home, Friday night was our family night. Uh, we got down and we, 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 we'd hang out minimum about two hours we're going to spend that time connecting because we live busy lives you got kids running and choir and basketball and cheerleading and you got all these things plus my wife and i have have a life uh work and school and all that so you have to be intentional if you're going to uh, galvanize the family and really create space where you can connect and reconnect and friday night family nights became those for us um, sometimes we go out sometimes we wouldn't um, it's not about price it's not about you know what you do it's about who you do it with and so Friday night is it we do anything from dinner to a movie to to Uno and Monopoly and and move you know in-house movie or just something to reconnect and spend that time. Uh, it it communicates value to the family and it lets the family know that they come first. Amen, amen. Thank you for that awesome insight and structure to the young preacher and young leader and just all those who live busy lives. I hope that you listened to this family is ground zero family is foundational and it is important to have a healthy family lifestyle and absolutely thank you for that um so in addition to your family what are some other resources or inspirations oh man um family of course is, is major uh, but the other piece is what i would call a devotional life it is it is the, the personal uh, maintenance and personal uh, upkeep of a relationship with God outside of church, outside of public view, outside of pulpit spaces. Uh, it is really seeking to be a Christian before I'm a pastor, uh, seeking to be a believer uh, who is connected to God before I'm anything else, because out of that flows the strength uh, and, and the power to do everything else. Um, it, it is about maintaining a devotional life. I think for me, uh, I learned around 2000, goodness, 2007, yeah, 2006, 2007, that a devotional life really is the place from which everything else flows. Um, the contemplative life, uh, the life that is spent in prayer, the life that is spent in study, not studying to preach, but studying to live, the life uh, that is really uh, encompassed uh, that encompasses really connecting to God on a, on, a, on a simple, but a serious and consistent level. It's from that place that my best sermons come. It's from that place that my uh, greatest form of compassion is seen. It's from that place that I'm a better husband and a better, and a better father. Um, and and, and the, the, the emphasis uh, that we often run into in ministry is on what we do. And so we become activity-based and activity formed and everything comes out of what we do 
but what we do uh, really should flow from who we are. Um, uh, I learned how to stop doing and learning how to be. Learn how to be. Um, stop doing ministry and be a follower of Christ. And from that uh, consistent attempt to be, the doing kind of flowed naturally. And so that for me, that for me is is my is my greatest inspiration. It's about consistently finding time every day to spend time with God. I know it sounds simple. It sounds so so elementary, uh, but man, listen, everything flows from that relationship with God, from making that space and making that time. I don't always get it right. I'll be the first to tell you, there are days I go without praying. I, I, I'll be honest. Uh, but I can also tell you the days that I do, I'm weaker than the days I, will, I, I did. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 I, and I miss it. I feel the distance and the void uh, on those days. And so, man, I, I work really, really hard to try to create space where every day I'm trying to get closer to God because from that, everything else flows. Uh, so that's my inspiration. Uh, the first one. Uh, the, 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 the second is, oh man, um, try, trying to trying to leave a legacy for my, for my, for my family, for my kids. Um, I don't want, I don't want my kids to say I was a great pastor and a terrible father. Mm. I don't, I don't want my wife to say, man, he was a great preacher, but he was a, he was a terrible husband. (laughs) That that for me, for me, that's failure. Yeah. That's, 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 that's failure. I I don't care how great other people say I am or may, may even, you know, uh, claim that I am because they're looking at my life from a distance. If the folk who are closest to me uh, can't say uh, that I that I'm doing something right, then that I'm failing. Right. Uh, true. True. So, uh, thank you for that. Want to ask you, as, as a leader in, in a field of life or a sector of life in which there's much decline whether it's churches are declining uh, leadership in churches is declining there there's so much in in decline uh as as a pastor and as a leader uh what would you say assist you or aids you in leadership in the being and in, in being an innovative provocative if you could use that word uh, trend-setting leader in the 21st century for the church and notice i'm not just saying black church but just for the kingdom of god as a whole sure um i i think there's i think there are a lot of things i get wrong let me first say that uh there are a lot of things that i i'm I'm still learning how to do uh, but there are a few things that I that I've discovered just from experience, trial and error, not expertise, just just <laughs> just experience. Um, there there are a few things that I that I think work for me. Uh, one being, um, I don't just run in a circle of preachers. Um, mm-hmm. I try to diversify my circle so that I'm hearing uh, and having a multi. Um, uh, multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary conversations. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. But every day, or at least once a week, I'm having conversations with, with, with business leaders. I'm having conversations with folk who are in education, having conversations with people who do science and STEM. Uh, I'm, I'm in conversation with people outside of my industry so that my breath of knowledge increases and then I can bring some of that expertise to the table uh, in terms of leadership. Because here's the thing, in, in leading the church, we have to know more than preaching, teaching and praying and worship management. Uh, we got to know budgets. We've got to know uh, community development. We've got to know uh, a little bit of politics. We, 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 we got to know some ethics. Um, uh, it's got to be greater than just than just theological training. And so um, I've got to bring people to to my life who can provide perspectives and viewpoints that are beyond mine. I think that has been really, really key for us um, because by doing that, what I end up doing is I end up now walking, talking, uh, functioning in circles where my people are. 
um, they don't read the Bible all day. They don't do theology all day long. Mm -hmm. uh, they frequent into other parts of culture and other segments of society. And so if I'm going to speak to their lives, I need that kind of breadth of experience uh, to be able to provide application to what this theology experience has to say. Mm. Um, so, 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 so putting myself in circles that are not preacher circles, I think has been, has been absolutely vital. Um, also in terms of leadership, I believe creating a leadership that looks like the church, uh, that we're trying to lead. Um, it, it's, it's our, our church is predominantly today, uh, but between the ages of 20 and about 40, uh, is our, is our largest, is our largest demographic between 20 and 40. Uh, the second is probably between 40 and about, and about 55. Um, that is different from the church, I, the church I inherited when I came in 2012. Uh, that church was predominantly uh, 60 and older. Uh, so, so if that today is our greatest demographic, and we have quite a few, uh, like most churches, we have more women than we have men, probably mm -hmm. in membership. Um, now, taking that into consideration as the construct and the demographic of our church, it doesn't make sense for all of my leaders to be men. Just doesn't make yeah. sense because now the leadership doesn't look like the church. Uh, it also doesn't make sense for all of my leaders to be over 60 because that's not how the church looks. So we right. took some very, very intentional steps to make sure that the leadership became a reflection of the church. Um, our, our biggest giver, <laughs> it's just strange to say, uh, our biggest giver for five years was under 35. Mm. I'm talking about, I'm talking about in the entire church. Yeah, no, I, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> under 35 right so uh i've got a i've got a deacon chair today who is under 40. uh i've got a, a trustee chair who's just a little bit over 40 maybe 41 42. uh but we're 130 year historic you know 130 year church we were founded in 1889. that's unheard of but what we had to do was become intentional and in making sure that our leadership reflected our church and that statement, I believe, has led to much of our growth. Uh, we have women who lead. We have I, have I have women who are deacons. I have women who are preachers. I have women who are trustees. Uh, men and women, cross uh, multi generational. Um, every demographic is represented in leadership, and I think whatever you have in your church, you need to have in your leadership, because it gives a perspective and a view that's necessary to really be on the edge of being able to hear, but also being able to innovate. Because uh, different generations bring different wealth and experience and knowledge. Uh, so I think that's been that's been key, key for us. Today's segment is sponsored by Photography Royale LLC, a Sabian Tucson production. This is a family owned business specializing in photography and videography. They are located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they provide services from portraits, fashion, travel, and sports media. Be sure to check out their website, www.photographyroyale.com. That's www.photographyroyale.com for more information. Now back to the segment. Is, did you change leadership in order to get to that place where you have a younger demographic uh, a d predominant millennial group or did you wait until you noticed that the millennial group was the predominant age group at the church and then you changed leadership to reflect that age group um two things um i came to the church at age 32 I followed a gentleman who was 62. The natural progression mm -hmm. when you have a younger pastor is that you attract younger members. That's that's not something, you know, I, I did. That's just kind of, that's kind of the natural progression of things. It happens organically. Uh, but with that, I became very, very keen uh, and very, very serious about looking amongst those that congregation uh, who was coming in and figuring out, you know, who has capacity to lead, what are the leadership skills and talents and abilities. I just I didn't just make the assumption uh, that we had the leadership we needed because it was because that was a group already in place. 
but the the the, the, the role was okay. not to replace leadership the role was to expand leadership um so we we had a great group of leaders already there uh but they were limited uh in what they could provide um so when new leadership came in it wasn't about replacing them it was about adding to them because they had a perspective and still have a perspective uh, many of the leaders that i inherited are still there uh, and they've got an amazing perspective that 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 is necessary for us from history uh to where the church has come from uh to just wisdom because of their their you know their their time uh uh their their, their time at their time at the church and this their, their their life experience they provide a view that we need but there's also something else that we need we need business acumen we need leadership capacity we needed uh financial uh acumen as well we needed uh, uh just a different kind of skill set to be added to that wisdom and that knowledge and we become uh, a, a greater leadership team and a stronger leadership team not because awesome. one replaced awesome. the other but because they're now um, i'm gonna ask a, a three-headed question as a pastor preacher and leader what are your greatest joys and challenges You can pick one. Um, we've talked a lot pastor. about being a pastor <laughs> and a leader. So if you want to just talk about oh, as a goodness. preacher, uh, that that's fine. Okay. Sure. As a preacher, great. Wow. Greatest joys and greatest challenges. Man. Um, greatest joys as, as a preacher, I would say it is, is preaching. Um, Preaching, as 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 anybody who pastors uh, or anybody who does it knows, is invigorating. It, right. If if you're a preacher, and you don't like to preach. You're probably in the wrong business. <laughs> preaching is the is the is the most fun we probably get uh, in the experience. And that's just something about preaching. I enjoy it. I love it. I live to do it. Um, but I also know that preaching is only right. a sliver of what a pastor does. Uh, so, so, so preaching itself, the act of it, the, the joy of it is, is my, is, is the greatest joy of being a preacher, just doing it. Uh, I also enjoy the study. Uh, I, I enjoy getting from process to proclamation. I, I enjoy the process. I enjoy digging and researching and, uh, wrestling with the text and, uh, other, uh, resources as well. I, I enjoy that. Um, also enjoyed listening to good preachers. Oh man, I listen. I I love it. I love. I am a preaching junkie. Yeah. We've known each other for a long time. It's almost how we we, we met. Uh, to be honest, how yeah. friendship really really began to just being preaching junkies. That's um, I love great preaching. Uh, but a challenge, a challenge is, uh, and I'll be quite honest, finding the space to do the to do the process and the preparation. Uh, so that the preaching moment is adequate and right. uh, uh, it has what I believe God wants it to have. Because uh, as a pastor, as a pastor and as a as a family guy, uh, there's always something pulling your attention. There's always something else to do. There's always something that demands and pulls from you. Uh, so just like we do date night and, and family night, uh, I also got blocked off time for sermon preparation. Uh, now, of course, that is... Uh, that vacillates, of course, as the as the course of a week goes. You got funerals, you got visitation, you got meetings, you got community stuff. You always got something else to do, uh, but you got to find that time to pull that in. And that is that is one of the greatest challenges I have is making sure that time doesn't get touched uh, uh, for preparation. I'd also say uh, one of the challenges is because I love preaching so much, mm. um, uh, it's possible to do it too much. Um, to, just like anything else that you love to do if you do it too much you can burn out you got to give yourself space and rest from even the stuff you love and for me that's preaching uh, as much as i love to do it i know that there are moments and times uh where i need rest i need to not preach i need to sit down i need to i need to be fed i need to be filled i need to give my body a chance to adjust and adapt uh and sometimes i'm, I'm guilty of that man if i get a chance to preach i usually jump i usually you know take advantage of it uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting wiser, uh, as I, as I, as I grow, as I get older, uh, that every, you know, there's sometimes I need, I need to, even if I love, okay, how much I love it. Uh, I can be better at it if I'm rested. Uh, and I, and I pick cool, up. Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, uh, so challenges for me. we're very aware 
of the task of preaching as a pastor, as well as the importance of, of leadership. Uh, and, and I would even say, in, in our case, also the ministry of compassion and, and caring for people. But there's also a call for many yes. black pastors for social justice, to be an advocate for social justice. And if you could just briefly give us some insight on some of the causes that you are passionate about uh, that ignite you, inspire you, and, and that you really feel our people are called to, to advocate for or to address. Sure. Um, man, when it comes to this area, uh, it, 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 it's almost overwhelming uh, because there's so much, right? That there's so much uh, that, that, that society has intentionally and unintentionally placed us in a disadvantaged position. When I say mm-hmm. us, I'm speaking black community, African-Americans. Um, th- there's, there's so much out there, but the, pa- the passions that I have for social justice uh, really speak to giving representation and voice to African-American concerns. Um, I'm in Nashville, so so in this city and in, and in the South. Um, housing. Housing is such a, a major issue in Nashville, for affordable housing uh, more specifically. Um, uh, it is tough because of our city is growing so fast. Uh, it is prospering and flourishing downtown. But as it grows and flourishes, uh, property values increase and uh, it becomes difficult now for African-Americans who may not be benefiting from the boom in the city to even live in the city. Um, The education system in Nashville uh, is one that is economically and socially segregated even in 2019. Uh, Integration was supposed to fix that. Right. But segregation worked its way back into the system again. Uh, so, so many of our schools are segregated in 2019. They're more you know, segregated now than they were call it. decades ago. It is. It's a de facto segregation. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the case for most cities, not just Nashville. Uh, north, northern, southern, eastern, or western doesn't matter. Uh, all of those, all of those trends and all of those tendencies crop back up into our policy. Um, I've done some recent work for probably for the last seven years uh, with the NAACP uh, dealing with an initiative called uh, the Black Church and HIV. Uh, It is really uh, speaking, uh, giving giving the Black Church a space uh, and 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 an opportunity to speak to the disproportionate impact Mm -hmm. of HIV and AIDS amongst the African-American community. African-Americans make up 12 to 14% of the U.S. population. Uh, Yet recently, uh, as recent as 2016, we make up anywhere from 41 to 44% of new HIV cases. Uh, Now, now why is that, that, you know, um, disproportionate rate present? Well, it's not that black folk are having more sex than than anybody else. I mean, we we all do it, kind of doing the same thing. Uh, But the issue is that there are these social determinants of health that really exacerbate the impact on the African-American community from stigma to mass incarceration to uh, lack of housing, lack of access to health care, to homelessness. Uh, So when it rains in the city, it floods in the hood. Uh, uh, All of these things create the perfect storm for HIV rates in the African-American community to be exacerbated and to be exponentially greater than others, even though we represent a smaller portion of the population. And so th- this this initiative uh, within NAACP was really about equipping black churches to be spaces where we could have these hard conversations. Uh, not only do uh, um, uh, in- information, but also advocacy and activism. How do we create spaces in our cities so that the HIV uh, investments that help white HIV uh, 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 in, in infected mm-hmm. persons actually reach African Americans as well. Because what we're seeing is dropping rates amongst white white males and white women 
uh, but mm. rising rates among black men and black women. And the, the, one of the one of the scary parts of this is uh, the fastest growing population in the last five, probably five to seven years uh, for not just HIV, yeah. but also AIDS cases is seniors. Yeah, that's 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 frightening. And but 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 exactly. it comes from a lot of it comes from uh, nursing home uh, where you got where you got, you know, grandma and grandpa, you know, they they're not going to bed at seven o'clock no more. <laughs> they hang it out. They hang it out and they're, they're you know, they're they're in a space where they are yeah. and they're sexually active. Uh, and, and we're not paying attention to that, or at least for a while we weren't uh, equipping them with protection and condoms, and, you know, insight and information that they needed uh, uh, to be able to make wise choices and to bring the epidemics down. So those rates are rising and creeping up slowly uh, in, in, in senior population. So what does the black church have to say about that? Uh, that's a justice issue. Uh, it, it's not just a health issue, it's a justice issue. Why is it higher with us than anybody else when we make up such a small amount of, of the population? And so that initiative is designed to really utilize the black church as a vehicle and an instrument to speak truth to these places. And because we have influence and um, a, a level of comfort with those populations that are impacted. Uh, wanted to utilize that space to be able to have those conversations. And so it's, it's really been a great, great, a great initiative. Uh, Amen. And, and, and we connect so well into another emerging major cause in the black church and just in the community as a whole, not only African-American community, but all of America. And that is the areas or the, the space of mental health. And, and so thank you for that because there, there are so many things tied yeah. with mental health and, I was just recently speaking with some other uh, community leaders about the movie The Joker. And, and for those that have not seen it, there's a great deal in the movie about mental health and how communities as a whole pretty much ignore the signs and the symptoms and often laugh at a person or do not treat them as they should. And, and so there's an emerging group of awareness. There's a uh, a rise in awareness there's an emerging group of people who care and it is an opportunity for us to show the love of christ uh for these conditions and, and so thank you for your work uh in social justice thank you uh, now with that being said as far as being an advocate one of the things i often found interesting as as a child and even now is that african-american communities especially in urban settings have been labeled as going through so much injustice and dealing with such difficult times, such oppression uh, from the Bush Harbors in 1619 to now, yet so many can still have joy. And, and I would argue some of the most vibrant worship you will see is in an African-American church. Some of the, the greatest expressions of thanks Hands down. you will see in the black church. How... Yeah. Why and how are so many able to still Absolutely. give thanks dealing with all of the many socioeconomic and political issues that our people face? Um, I think it goes back to the genesis of the black church. It goes back to the origin. Um, this is this is highlighted scholarship. Um uh, well-known scholarship folks like Dale Andrews and James Cohn and uh, Deodis Roberts and uh, uh, many folk have commented on how the black church itself uh, has right. always been a refuge community, a refuge space, a place that was safe for black folk when no, when no place else or nothing else could provide that safety and that security. Um, I think that ethos still remains. Uh, it was the, the black church was was created for that. And I think it still is that it's a space where black folk, where it's safe to be black uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a space, in a, in a culture and mm. society where being black can be hazardous to your health. Um, so in, so in those spaces, it's OK to be us. And, I, and, and then I don't have to explain right. who I am. Uh, in those spaces because it's naturally understood and you can be authentic. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't have to be explained when, when I. I I can be authentic. I can look at you from across the sanctuary <laughs> and you know what I'm saying. And you know, 
I know what you're saying. And it's a it's a safe space. And we don't there aren't many of those in 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 America for black people. So that's that space itself is sacred uh, because it, it's it's the refuge spot for for black Americans. Uh, but the joy piece, the joy piece has always been a part of us because the black church is a resistance church. It was it was a form of resistance uh, of, uh, from um, uh, the early forms of church in America that did not embrace us, did not accept us and did not even appreciate or validate uh, our form of worship. Uh, so so just having that space uh, created an opportunity for us to experience God. Uh, in a way that provided us joy. Uh, nobody hopes mm. like black like black Christians. Uh, no no no. Hope for us is is in many uh -huh. cases not all, but in many cases all we have. You're dealing with folk who are, who are wrestling with uh, common everyday challenges uh, from a crisis of not having health care to a crisis of doing, don't know where I'm going to live, don't know what I'm going to eat next. Uh, this is, you know, people like to think right. these are fringes of society. No, this is much of society. Uh, that there are folk who are struggling every single day. But the church becomes a place where my hope is in God, my faith is in God, and I trust that God, even when I don't know how it's going to work out, right. God has a plan, is doing something on my behalf. And so that space is what keeps us going. That faith, that hope, that that joy, uh, that keeps us that be, being able to know that God is with me in the middle of it—that's what gives us the joy. Uh, we've got a story and a narrative uh, from yesteryear and from today uh, that God is present with us in every circumstance, and in every circumstance we've survived it, we've overcome. God has elevated us and pushed us beyond every societal, cultural, and even global challenge. Uh, uh, and, and we're still able to succeed, still have access to, to, to accomplish, still have agency uh, to be uh, who we are, are called to be. And that for us provides a sense of, of hope and joy. And that's what we hold on to. And it's what we've always held on to. And it's what keeps us uh, alive today. I, I, I mean, one of the most depressing moments uh, I can recall personally for me in recent years uh, was the Sunday mm -hmm. after the 2016 election. It was it was a dark space for, for African-American folks. Uh, folk, folks could not believe how uh, 45 had, had won. I mean, we, we, we figured it out later. Uh, but 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 in the moment, uh, we could not we could not fathom that we well, would if have we're not careful. It can happen again in 2020. In but man, that Sunday. It can absolutely happen again. It can absolutely happen again. Uh, but I remember that Sunday. Uh, that Sunday, there was a cloud in the sanctuary. Uh, I remember feeling it. Uh, and man, we got in the worship, and we got to singing, we got to praying, we got to preaching. And man, listen, before the day was over, we had our help. We had our strength, <laughs> you know, cause, because that's the space where we get reminded, I don't care what we walk into, God is with us. Now, here's my hope for 2020, that we don't just rest on the fact that God mm. is with us, that we will actually be with God, that we'll actually do our part. We'll actually engage in the in the in the uh, uh, in the process to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's that's my prayer. Uh, I, my prayer is that we don't lean so much on hope that we don't mm. we don't use our hands. Awesome. And, and I as you were talking, I reflected on even the first century church dealing with Nero and, and so many other leaders that may not have been as kind to the body of Christ, yet they continue to still have joy. And to me, that is what right. a thankful life looks like, that no matter yeah. what your circumstances are around you, as you often have given the, the thermostat and thermometer illustration, you're not dictated by what's going on around you, but you change the atmosphere and you continue to have a proper perspective and so thank you for that um is it anything else you would say epitomizes a thankful life uh yes it is reflective in a person's worship but but what are some other signs of a thankful life uh 
Oh man, um, I'm I am a firm believer uh, that wherever gratitude mm. is at the root, generosity will show up at the fruit. That wherever there is thankfulness, that there is a willing to share and bless and give, and a spirit of generosity present with that. You cannot, you cannot, My be mind. grateful and greedy at the same time. It's not possible. It's not possible. Wherever gratitude is, generosity is always going to show up. So I think that when you see a when you see a thankful life, you see a person who's able to give, a person who's able to share, a person who's able to live a life of generosity, an open-handed life, uh, a life that is always uh, willing to be a blessing to others. And it's not about amount. It's not about what you have. Uh, it's about attitude. It's about approach. Even if I don't have a lot, if I'm grateful, I'll take what I got and share it. I mean, that's the story if any is of the of much of the black community yeah uh we are some of the most philanthropic people even though we have less resources mm. uh than, than the majority culture in america because gratitude for what we have shows up in generosity so a thankful life for me is marked is stamped is is eternally hey, imprinted by generosity. Hey, man last question um we're coming up on Thanksgiving. That's why we talked about a thankful life. And uh, how is Thanksgiving for you? Are you watching football? Sure. You spending time with the family? What, what, to, what to you is the epitome of a great Thanksgiving? And, and I preface this question with keeping in mind there are some people that are adamantly against Thanksgiving because of the history of bloodshed or the theories there are out there. So if if you don't celebrate it, I understand. Um, but sure. if you do, just give some light on what Thanksgiving is like and, and why it is important to you to to celebrate it the way you do. Sure, um, I, I do celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, it is a it is a family kind of uh, connection point for us, and I celebrate it because of that. It's a chance for us as a family to gather together and to really be reflective and you know really begin to dialogue about what we're grateful for and and, and look at our life and our journey uh, and all of that man my mm-hmm. wife and i got married when we were in we were sophomores in college um i tell people all the time i don't i don't recommend that <laughs> but that's that's our that's our story that's our story we mm. but because of that man we remember some rough days i'm talking about I'm talking about broke. Good God, mm. man! I'm talking about we define new levels of brokenness. <laughs> it was, it was crazy, man. And so by the time, man, we got married '98. By the time we're 2004, yeah, we had three kids. In 2004 and two before I even graduated from college, uh, you know. And so, man, we know times where, you know, Thanksgiving was slim. You know, money was super tight. We got one vehicle and we, you know, I'm walking the kids to school in a double stroller and they going to class with me and I'm feeding them in class and burping them in class and going to the cafeteria and Miss Pat at Virginia State, shout out to Miss Pat. Uh, Miss Pat at Virginia State, man, we have no money and no swipes on the card and she let mm. us pass through and feed the whole family, they didn't give us to go plate so we'd be covered for the evening. I mean, that kind of stuff. So so that's our story, man, that's, that's our journey. I remember missing Thanksgiving uh, because I was deployed in Korea or deployed in Iraq uh, uh, and and and, not, and trying to figure out how the family's gonna be good while I'm gone, and God would would speak to somebody. They send checks to the house, and that's how Thanksgiving and Christmas got covered. I mean, th- that kind of stuff, right? So when we get moments for Thanksgiving, man, it's it's a moment of reflection for us. It's a moment where we look back on our journey, and man, we 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 take it serious, and we tell you know we tell we tell those stories to our kids uh, about that journey and about how we got to where we are, so we don't take for granted where we are today. So Thanksgiving uh, usually looks like us as a family serving somewhere in the morning. Um, we used to do what's called uh, the Thanksgiving Fellowship Meal. So our church used to throw a five-star um, um, kind of dining experience mm-hmm. for anybody who was hungry on Thanksgiving uh, afternoon. 
uh, and people would come over. The homeless would come, people from the community would come, people from public housing would come. Students who couldn't get back home would come from the university. And man, we'd give them a five-star meal. I'm talking about waiters and waitresses in black and white attire, bow ties. I got a tuxedo on, the wife had a, uh, an evening gown on, the kids were in waiter and waitress attire. And man, we, we five-star decorations, we get rides. It is a, it was about uh, charity with dignity. So we're not just plop, plopping stuff on the plate, but no, you get seated, there's, you get you get gifts, you get door prizes. Uh, we just wanted to bless people, but do it in an extravagantly generous way. Uh, so we usually serve in the morning, uh, and then afternoon, man, we come back, we kick it, we eat, uh, we watch football, and we just we just hang, we just hang, man. Thanks, thank, that's what Thanksgiving is for us. And now with the kids out of school, you know, in college, two of them in college, man, when they come back, that's that's all we spend our time doing, hanging out. Awesome, awesome, man. Um, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, my brother, not only in, in the body of Christ, but Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, great friend. Amen. Happy Founders Day. Absolutely. Uh, thank Happy God Father's for Day. you, man. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to share with the people before you go? Maybe a funny story. Sometimes something funny happens in church um, or you just want to bid farewell. Um, anything you have to say for the people? Oh, man. Um, first of all, thank you, man. Thank you for the invitation to come and share. Uh, I appreciate, you know, uh, being able to do this. Uh, this is this is dope. Yeah. I, uniquely dope, I think, is, is a series you got. Uh, and, man, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of being a part of it. Thank you, man, for being a friend. Uh, I respect you so much as a, as a father, as a husband, man, as a, as a brother, uh, and as a scholar, man, doing the doggone thing and pastoring, man. Listen, I'm excited for you. Uh, excited about how God. Hey, man, I appreciate you, man. you, man. That concludes our first guest, Reverend Dr. John R. Faison Sr. We hope you enjoyed it. Now we will be moving forward to our next guest, Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr., I pastor at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. God has graced us. I've been there. 13 years, but I'm originally from Greensboro, North Carolina, born in Maryland, but I'm raised in Greensboro. I consider Greensboro home by my maternal grandparents. And Omega um, Sci-Fi, fraternity I pledged when I was in college, and just been grinding ever since. So I'm looking forward to being on this, um, this call and podcast with my brother and my friend. Uh, and so uh, that's just a little bit about me continue person who just loves leadership loves preaching and loves the church so that's just a little bit about who i am hey man i want to ask you want to get right into it and ask you you mentioned that you are a pastor you're passionate about leadership uh how dope is it to be a pastor how awesome is it to be a leader well for me there's nothing else i think i was born to do so i can't see my life without the church and so i'm living a dream every single day we love the church and i love leadership within the church i say this and i believe it preaching grows people but leadership grows churches so i'm always trying to figure out better ways to become a better leader but also ultimately be a better disciple because i think that my discipleship ought to feed my leadership amen awesome awesome perspective i appreciate that so you mentioned you're always thinking and thinking i believe often leads to innovation uh how important is creativity and innovation in your preaching your shepherding leadership innovation is crucial matter of fact the um the tagline and model and vision statement of our church is a church making an impact impact coming in six letters is also the six pillars of our church and that first I is for innovation. Wow. I believe that we have to be innovative. And um, because you're not changing the message, you're just changing the methodology. And I think that has to be it. I actually just finished uh, reading, I'm currently in New Jersey. Uh, I was telling Mac before we got on, I uh, my father uh, just had a stroke on Monday and I was actually flying to Texas. And so uh, I was able to get an emergency flight out here today. So I'm actually He's taking a nap now. So I, on the plane here, I was finished reading a book uh, by the um, CEO of Disney, Robert Iger. And he talks about innovation in that. And in, in it, it was an incredible look at how they began to view 
um, how they began to view ministry, how they began to view uh, just like work. And it was based upon being innovative, man. I really thought, and he made this statement, if you're not innovating, if you're not changing, you're mm. dying. Um, so I see that in the terms of my leadership. I always want to make sure that we're on the cutting edge. I think one thing the church has to do a better job of is be proactive instead of being reactive. Even when it comes to preaching, I love preaching the homiletical models for which I think I have tried my best to be faithful to, but I always want to try to find myself trying to do different stuff and try to stress myself to not get my people used to a certain style, but get used to, to meaty substance. So I see that being played out in a multitude of ways in that way. So, and, and as I've grown at my church 13 years, I've had to lead differently at different seasons of my church. I've had to grow and be more innovative in how I approach interaction with my congregation, with my staff. And so I think those things are crucial. And you gotta understand, man, if you're not innovating, if you're not changing, you're dying. And that's just the reality of life. And one of the challenges the church has is that many times we get stuck in similar ruts and routines. And we think we think we're doing something when honestly, we're not doing what we think we're doing because we're not innovating, we're not changing, we're not expanding, we're not maturing and we are really literally dying. Wow, wow, very insightful. I appreciate your articulation. And that is a great segue to my next question. In a sector of life or field in which many people feel is in decline, faith-based communities are closing rapidly thousands and thousands each year. How do you find the strength? What, what are some of your inspirations? What, what do you do to grow in a sector where decline is surrounding But I think the reality is, I think we have to be honest about a lot of things that close is because they, number one, stop satisfying the need. As long as you're satisfying the need, you'll always be a business. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think the churches do a better job of is that we have the ultimate cure. We have the ultimate satisfaction. We have the bomb in Gilead. But a lot of times we don't know, but we're not applying that to the actual need. And so a lot of times I don't think that we are, once again, doing enough to, to challenge people to know why they need what we have to offer. I was to a podcast earlier about Hobby Lobby and how Hobby Lobby is still growing in a day where it seems like every every ish, everything with retail is going down. Right. The CEO of it was talking about how in this day and age, retails have two enemies, if you say. It is digital and delivery. So the digital world is certain retail and delivery. He said, what has insulated Hobby Lobby and he says one of the things that he thinks lends them to be growing while other people are declining is that what they can offer and the field they're in, crafts, is something that people feel is a need even in a time of recession. Right. That it began to feed this reality for many people that said, you know what? I may need to create a second job. So let me create some crafts, which is exactly what Hobby Lobby does. Like for what they do, they have maintained the reality that we have something to offer. And they put it in a way that makes it applicable and makes it noteworthy for the person getting it. Now, another thing he said I thought was powerful, what is that he said, we and we still give away half our profits. We're closed on Sunday. We're still gonna honor God in our business model. We pay our employees double what is considered minimum wage. And so man, I mean, think we got to speak to me and say, man, at the end of the day, he raised a question that I think is an incredible question every leader of faith-based ought to ask. And it, it forced me to look at some stuff. He said, if this is God's institution, how would God run it? And if I can't line it up with how God is running it, then what am I doing? Right. That thing was deep to me because I think sometimes we miss that. How can we, if this is God's work and God's business, how would God run it? Right. I just thought it was insightful. I thought it was real good stuff. No, I concur. So often it's been my observation, and I could be wrong, but it's been my observation that many people model themselves after their friend, uh, a business executive, but 
in the faith-based community, God must be the model. That must be the example of executive leadership and decision-making. So I, I agree 100%. Uh, so with that being said, that's a great segue to another question. Who are some of your, your muses, some of your inspirations when it comes to leadership style or preaching or serving as a pastor? Man, that's so, that's so very, man. I got so many great mentors that have really spoken to my life. Uh, as a pastor, my pastor, um, uh, Reverend Anthony G. Macklin, or Bishop-elect Anthony G. Macklin of the Sanctuary, uh, has always been a model for me of support, like uh, fatherly love and just his heart for people. And just this, this, he has an ingenuity and a knack for figuring out this economic piece that I think is just incredible. So he's always been an exemplar for me. Uh, Reverend Joseph Parks is the guy who licensed and ordained me, who really challenged me to grow in my own unique preaching voice. He's the one that kind of created for me, um, you know, um, um, have my extemporaneous preaching style. Um, so he's definitely a model. Um, and just other people, man, if I was just saying preaching, just some guys like John Guns is a preaching mentor of mine his ability to move from head to heart. And, and I always try to model that in preaching. Bill Curtis, who, who showed me how to wrestle with tension. You know, what is the tension of this text? And what am I trying to explain, right? Right. Uh, Arthur Jackson, who I just oily, and I love the structure that he brings to sermons. To Lance Watson and Freddie Haynes, who sped up preaching, who gave us a new paradigm for, for the for the movement of preaching. And then, you know, some of the great illustrators, I mean, I could go on and on. I used to listen to your dad, man. My granddad would take me a new light church in Greensboro, right around the corner from my house. And he would, we would walk to revival when your dad was doing revival for new light for Reverend Carter's Brown. And I still got tapes of your dad, you know? So there's so many models for me for preaching. I just love the art of communication. And I try to look at them all and try to take bits and pieces of everyone and figure out how can I continue to hold my own voice. When it comes to leadership, there's some great leaders out there that I look at. Uh, Joseph Walker, Bishop Joseph Walker, a frat brother of ours. I love his his velocity of life is what I model myself after. I'm always gone and I see how he is and, it, and how he does that and manages life is, is a paradigm for me. John Jenkins and just the uncanny ability he has to just be a great leader. Even some who don't even look like me, Kerry Newhoff, I listen to his podcast all the time, or Craig Rochelle and other guys who I just kind of glean from. I'm always trying to figure out ways to improve and to grow. So they would be like some major people that I that I really kind of look at. Awesome, great list, and I'm sure it's even more extensive, but that is a phenomenal list of leaders, preachers, uh, teachers, shepherds, and, and so thank you for that. I want to shift gears a little bit, and we kind of touched on this somewhat, but I want to uh, move the conversation in a different direction. Within the church, and specifically, it is an amazing thing to witness the joy, the expression, the art of worship. And many people that come to church have so severe socioeconomic issues, health issues, whether it be physical or mental. In particular, the black church, how is it, or what is your estimation of how are people able to be thankful, to live thankful lives and to worship God in such a vibrant, energetic, dare I even say charismatic way with all of these issues that they are surrounded with and going through? You know, that's the beauty about the black church for me. And I'm a black church apologist. And when you look at it demographically, I would say other cultures, they want Jesus. Black people need Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's, there's this there's this unique, uh, you know, connection that we have spiritually that is always expressed regardless of our circumstances. Right? I, I, that's the beauty of church for me, especially black church, is that people have realized 
I can have problems and still love Jesus, right? Right. That he's a sustainer. He walks with me. You know, when Grandma and me said that some stuff that I had to live through before I understood totally, he talks with me, you know, or he's a bridge over troubled water, right? He's a doctor in a sick room, a lawyer in a courtroom. And these are these are metaphors that are so powerful that it gives us and lends us that there's this otherness about God in my worship that transcends and transcends where I am in my existential reality, right? I think that's the beauty of loving God is that I don't love him just because everything's a good, everything is good. You know, my love for God becomes this unconditional moment that I begin to honor him through worship, through my service, through my witness, regardless of what I'm facing. And so for me, I think that is the essence of this Thanksgiving holiday and all those things is that living a, a life of gratitude, regardless of whatever we're going through. So that's the beauty of the church for me is to see that. And as a pastor, I intimately know things that people wrestle with and struggle with, but God has still kept them and, and provided for them, you know? Amen. Absolutely. So I want to get a little personal. Uh, you, in my observation, have been a very thankful person. Uh, you express your joy in your preaching and in your everyday lifestyle uh, through self-care as well as through your worship. What would you say has created this thankful attitude, this perspective of joy and peace within you? What, how is it that you are able to live a thankful life? And, and what would you say a thankful life looks like um, besides yourself? What are some other ways people can display a thankful life? Well, I think two things for me. Number one, I think the foundation my grandparents give me in God. And they grew, and I grew up loving and appreciating God and God's word. And number two, my own personal reality with God and how I've seen God in, in very personal, powerful ways for me. So for me, that's expressed in what I do through ministry, my faithfulness to ministry. That is a is a is a sign of gratitude for what God has done for me. Um, I also say in my service and making sure that I continue to uh, be a good witness and helping hand for humanity. And I think that can happen a lot. Of, and, and we cannot forget the disciplines, you know, the, the spiritual disciplines of giving, being generous, right? Attending worship with other believers. You know, those are those are signs to me, outward signs of gratitude to God. Like, don't tell me you love God, but you don't want to go to church. Right. That's antithetical because that's that's God's house. And those are God's people. So a lot of times, many of us try to look for the big things. But I think the basics really begin to outline for us ways for us to be faithful and generosity in our time, our talent, our treasure. Right. And so those are things that I've tried to practice in my life. And because God has granted me this incredible opportunity, that's why I, wherever I have an opportunity to share it, I go share the gospel, you know, be helpful for people that drives me and that helps me. And that really, that really, to me, births this gratitude because I can't just tell God I love him or tell God, thank you. I really feel like I ought to show I love him and show I thank him. Absolutely. So Thanksgiving, you mentioned it. We'll we'll talk about it just very briefly. Uh, I know we're in an age where many people prefer to not celebrate Thanksgiving because of the history of mm -hmm. the violence and the colonized story. But but for you, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? And what does Thanksgiving look like for Charles E. Goodman Jr.? Yeah, I do. Thanksgiving is family for me. As, as a preacher and pastor, Mac, you know this. We don't get many holidays. <laughs> You know, most time when people have holidays and come on the weekends or something where we're working. Thanksgiving is the only weekend that I know is going to be a day that I know is not going to be a weekend. So for me, as, a, as things are getting better, I'm going to spend time with my grandmother. She just turned 92. And so um, those holidays mean more to me now for them than necessarily just for me. There's more time with family and, and more time to sit and kind of take a rest so that's what i'm gonna be doing you know it ain't about the food for me uh i'm a pescatarian so i don't eat all that stuff anyway but i i look forward to spending some moments with family and stuff like that awesome awesome last question then you've been a joy i really enjoyed the dialogue uh, 
definitely want to lift up your father in prayer. We'll continue to pray for you and your family. But one of the important aspects or dynamics of pastors within the black church, I, I didn't want to end this podcast without addressing this, is the dynamic of being an advocate for social justice. Mm-hmm. I believe a thankful life, as you mentioned, is generous. It also cares for other people, uh, cares for yourself, as well as shows compassion for others. Uh, I know you to be uh, uh, an advocate for social justice. I know mm-hmm. that you are one who stands for things that are right and addresses things that are wrong. What are some of the social issue justice issues that you are passionate about? Man, that's deep. Ah, uh, definitely. Um, when it comes to policing in our community, we actually just had a police officer in Augusta get killed yesterday, and it's been a whole lot of uproar concerning it because. Uh, you know, there are some who, who didn't respect his particular role within our community. And so just all kind of stuff. So definitely that economic disparity is a, another main one for me. I am really, really, really uh, trying to wrap my arms around how we can develop and try to get better economic um, equity within our community. So that's a big one for me because I realize for a lot of people, it in black or white is green. So that's a huge one for me. Um, and even when it comes to mentorship, I think there's, there's this thing within our school systems that I really been trying to really try to spearhead in Augusta to try to figure out ways, um, A, to help in to, to deal with teachers who are under, underpaid and, and, uh, but also try to challenge our children, you know, education still is a key. So I would say those three things for me are our passions that I have to deal with from a social justice perspective. Thank you for that. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, anything you want to say, anybody? Man, Mac, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate being on today. Uh, for all those who are hearing this podcast, you know, just continue to stay faithful. Uh, honor God and your worship and your witness. And, and you show gratitude, man, by giving your all through your service, your time, your talent, and your treasure. So, I think that's important. And I pray that this is not just a Thanksgiving season, but a thanks living season. That's really my prayer for everyone. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Love you much, man. You. Uh, Love you, man. You mentioned, he's not only my brother in Christ, but my fraternity brother. But I look at him as a big brother, mentor, and a friend. So thank you, Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr. For those that have never heard him preach, not only is he on social media and YouTube and other forms of media but if he is in your town you want to hear him and if you're ever in augusta georgia make sure you go to the historic second tabernacle baptist church 